episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put oh, oh, he's going to Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. Joining me, as usual, is Mike Craven from Beautiful Undisclosed Location. Mike, how are you? Doing pretty good right now. I'm at, I'm at the Parentals uh, Ranch out in Bertram. So Taco, okay. my dog, and I are having a having a lovely Sunday. I bet he's loving that. Yeah, chasing cows, chasing goats. You know, kind of get that out of his system. There you go. There you go. Before he goes back to the confines. Um, all right. So yeah, uh, usually we do this. Uh, these, these Sunday recaps, reverse power pole order. Um, yeah, there's really no reason to do that this week. There's one game that I think we both feel kind of <laughs> need to talk about right off the bat. Um, that's Texas State UIW. Um, for those of you that lived under a rock or don't follow either of us on Twitter, uh, that was the game uh, Mike Craven was at this weekend. And of course, I am a Texas State alum. Texas State lost uh, 42-34 at home to UIW. And yeah, let's start off <laughs> with how usually when these kind of games happen, it's like, oh man, UIW's breaking out all the stops. They're throwing out trick plays. They're doing onside kicks. No, nah, they just ran a game plan, man. And... Um, it seemed like Texas State was the team that had to scrap and find big plays and put together things because Cameron Ward got whatever he wanted in the passing game. Uh, Texas State ran the ball, whatever, decently, but not actually not really decently. Um, they just had a couple 20-yard uh, plays. It felt like Brady McBride had a couple of, you know, rabbit out of the hat moments. And that was kind of it. Texas State felt like the team that was the FCS program trying to upset UIW. And UIW was the team that just got everything it, it, um, it wanted. Uh, I don't know how, how what you, if that was what you saw, but, you know, you were there. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that stuck out to me was just how flat everyone looked. I mean, yeah, not just inside the stadium, but, you know, on the sidelines before the game and stuff. And you know, I was there on Tuesday to kind of do some press conferences after that FIU win in overtime. And, and to a man, you know, the players, the the coaches, the coordinators all talked about how, you know, that was a big win for the team. Everybody's back on the same page. The pandemic kind of kept us all apart. Now we're mm -hmm. together. We're rolling in the right direction. And you just you just look like they knew they were playing an FCS team. They knew they were supposed to beat that team. But after the first quarter was over, there wasn't a big talent discrepancy. It wasn't, right. you weren't watching that game from the press box going, man, how is UIW staying in this or whatever. They look like two equal teams. Um, and the best player on the field uh, was wearing red. And so yeah. um, it was, an, it was an interesting thing. And from the opening series, you could tell UIW had uh, noticed that they could take advantage of the safeties at Texas state. And they did that all game long and I think it does need to be said that UIW is a better team than I think a lot of people uh will realize sure. you know that's that's a good team that's probably going to make some noise and in, in the Southland may make the playoffs all that kind of stuff uh, but a disappointing performance by Texas State and one that you can't have in year three if yeah. this happens year one of your tenure okay you know we're, we took over a troubled program and we're trying to build our way back up we're going to have some of these setbacks in year three, you should be better than the Southland Conference team that's 45 minutes away from your campus. Right. I think the thing that was one of the things I was most disappointing about this was every time it felt like Texas State was like, okay, here's where the game turns, right? Because I don't think – I wasn't shocked, right? I talked about this kind of being a, a game that I was 
you know, afraid of, but not necessarily thinking they would lose, but definitely one that at the end of the first quarter, you know, if it's close, I, w- I wouldn't have been surprised. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, you know, uh, UIW had was up 14-7. That wasn't surprising to me. I thought eventually this would get to the point where, okay, third, late second quarter, uh, early, maybe late third quarter, Tech State puts the, puts the gas on. Every time it felt like that happened, that was going to happen, something went wrong. Right. Uh, Texas State took the lead late. Uh, they had a stop and they fumble. Right. And UIW goes down and scores uh, what ended up would be the, the game winning score um, or the, the score that would put them up for good. Um, and then Texas State goes three and out. And then UIW drives down the field again and scores and then just puts the game to, to bed. But every time it felt like something was going to happen, they force a punt of oh, another fumble. Right. It felt like those dumb little mistakes that don't happen against FCS programs, but happen against, you know, what happened last year in against the Sunbelt teams. And the fact that it trickled all the way down to this, this kind of game where you mentioned it, it, it's a game that maybe the players felt like they should have won and just kind of, you know, just lollygagged through, went through the motions. I know Spavadol said after the game, they had, you know, a bunch of players out, which, you know, fair, that's one excuse, but at this point in the program, you should have more or less a full roster of FBS players, right? And so yep. Yep. your two, three deep should be able to beat UIW regardless. Um, I know that they also, I think they've reportedly missed, uh, I think Tyler Vitt and Ty Evans are both out, both the other quarterbacks. So it was just Brady McBride basically out there with the scout team guys, with scout team quarterbacks behind him. But again, where you are the program now and now what you've built uh, as Jake Spavadol, what you've built there, these are your guys, these, this is your depth. Um, it should be different. It should be a different story. And so now, you know, I would love to believe that this is reminiscent of, I believe it was either 2017 or 2016, Arkansas State, who went 0-3, 0-4 to start the year, losing to an FCS program, and then went on to win the Sun Belt. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um I don't know. There, a lot of the mistakes that you felt should have been gone, should have been cleaned up, just came back roaring. And 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 you think by the third, fourth quarter, the offensive line, defensive line starts to take over. You know that right. should be right. that should be the. You know, FCS programs are going to have a couple good wide receivers. They're going to have a good quarterback. They're going to mm-hmm. have some secondary guys because those guys just exist everywhere with the explosion of seven on seven. But there's not that, that many good offensive linemen and good defensive linemen. And it did not happen. I mean, I, yeah. I would say incarnate word, their front seven on defense played better than, than the offensive line of Texas State and the front seven for Texas State. And so if, if you didn't go, if you didn't know when you went to that game who was the FBS program and who it was the FCS program, I don't think it was obvious. And that's about as big of an indictment as you can have on Texas State right now. I just don't think the talent gap was what it what it should be. And then there's also that question of, you know, what do you do if you, you if you're scoring 34 points at home against an FCS program, you win that football game like that should be a, a thing that you win to allow that many points against an FCS program, even one with a really good quarterback yeah. is just it's super alarming. They, they didn't get much pressure on them. They couldn't run with the wide receivers. Um, and that was with a couple turnovers, you know, yeah. UIW could have scored 50 plus if they played clean football. And so um, just an all around bad performance by the Bobcats yesterday. And in a game where you win that game soundly, you're two and one and you really have some momentum going into conference play. And now you just have, you have none of that. Yeah. Um, I was, there's of course, naturally after a loss like this, you know, people start talking about the trajectory and where they go from here. Um, obviously job security is a question that comes up. Let me just say this, this, this isn't me reporting anything. This is me looking at just the facts in front of me. I think Spavadol's here for the year. Um, I think that typically when you make a move early, especially early, this early, it's to save some recruiting. It's to, you know, maybe get some, I don't know. It's, it's, it's for something that I don't, there's no recruiting momentum. Let's put it that way. So there's no reason to make a move as far as that's concerned. Um, they don't have the money to, he basically has two, uh, basically this whole year. So technically three years left on his deal or no two, sorry, two years left on his deal. 
uh, roughly $1.6 million uh, in, in total buyout. And so I don't think they have the money. Uh, they fired Withers with a year left on his contract. And that was about 800K. I think that's probably the route they're going to take if they do make a move. Um, and yeah, I mean, the Texas State doesn't have the booster uh, backing to make a move like that. And so, so there's a lot of people that want a change and want to change now. I think it'll come down to this. I think regardless, he's here for the year. But if they lose to Eastern Michigan, I feel like a behind-the-scenes decision will be made. And pending a Sunbelt miracle run that results in a bowl game, I think if they lose to Eastern Michigan, they go into the bye week, and I think there's a lot of talk. I don't think that there's, you know, I don't think, again, I don't think a decision is made as far as like moving on now, but I feel like a loss comes, okay, at the end of the year, we're probably going to part ways. If they beat Eastern Michigan, cool, you know, punt that, see whatever happens in the Sun Belt. Um, I just want to throw that out there. That is my, again, that's my speculation, especially with a new athletic director and potentially a new president coming in. Um, right. I, again, it depends. It's that that's my thing. I feel like with the financial implications, I feel like he lie, he stays the year. Um, this isn't a situation like with Everett Withers where you make a move in November because he only has one year left. You can eat that roughly one million. Um, I don't know. I, that's just just me. But I think this this kind of loss does get people talking, and rightfully so, right? You do wonder what is the trajectory of the program now that you're losing to UIW. Now, again, if this is a wake-up call and they go and they somehow scrap together five wins and get to a bowl, sure, fine, cool. We're all, you know, everybody who looks at this as a, as a catalyst. But I do think, rightfully so, this is a loss that gets people talking about what's going on with this program, so. And he doesn't have many friends in that office anymore, right? If, if yeah. there's a new athletic director and then a new president comes in, they don't have any ties to him. And so um, you just can't keep sinking further and further away um, from the other programs around you. You know, if UTSA is kind of ascending, you know, if Incarnate Word's getting better, you're right there next to Texas. You just, yeah. you just have to find your niche and it can't be losing FCS games at home. Yeah, I do want to hint on uh, since we are a Texas Texas podcast, um, Cameron Ward, man, that dude can play. Oh, <laughs> he can play. If there isn't an if there isn't a group of five program trying to pull a Bailey Zappy with this kid, like no offense to Incarnate Word, but if he's there for four years, somebody in the group of five recruiting rankings uh, recruiting scene went wrong because there should be people trying to get him to step up a level because this kid can play. Texas State should be one of them. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, he's, 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 he's legit good. Uh, you know, he, he's not going to burn you with his legs or anything yeah. like that, but he's an accurate passer. He knows how to go through his reads and he makes some throws sometimes that are just, I mean, they're wow. They're wow yeah. throws. And you wonder how at six, three, 220 pounds, how he kind of slipped through the recruiting cracks like that. But then you remember a pandemic happened. Yeah, right, exactly. And of course, um, Eric Morris seems to have that program uh, headed in the right direction, which, again, no one's asking Incarnate Ward to be a powerhouse in FCS, but if he can just have them be scary and competent and occasionally yep. be explosive, like that's more than enough. And to me, that's that's a phenomenal job. So they're not a, they're not a team you want to play. Right, I mean, exactly. They, yeah, they, they play they play sound defense. They tackle. They run to the football. They have enough weapons offensively, and then they have a dude at quarterback. That I mean, for an FCS team, that's about as many uh, variables as you'd like in your direction. Exactly. So uh, yeah, we'll put that to bed. Um, you know, the Texas State Eastern Michigan coming up. We'll talk more about that game during the week. Getting back on the power pole rankings, uh, bottom team in the power pole. Oh boy, um, Rice. I mean, uh, we'll talk about Texas in a bit, but Rice loses fifty-eight nothing to Texas. Um, I guess for me, you know, I didn't expect Rice to really look great in this game. I guess I just didn't want to see that. <laughs> um, I know that Texas was going to come out pretty pretty motivated, obviously after last week, but. I, I guess I hoped that tech that Rice's defense was a little bit more cleaned up than that. And this seemed like a Bijan Robinson is pissed off game. Um, and cause he just came out and looked incredible. 
Uh, Roshan Johnson had a he had a wildcat uh, call that looked that just went untouched basically um, for a touchdown. Casey Thompson looked very competent. So like Rice's defense had nothing going, and I mean I wasn't really competent in Rice's offense, and they didn't really have anything going. Um, you know we'll talk about the other side of the ball, but I, yeah, I guess I kind of hope that this would be more of a thirty-five nothing game as opposed to a fifty-eight nothing game. <laughs> I, I just think they ran out of gas. I mean, this is their third straight week against, a, you know, a big FBS school. You know, you start with Arkansas, then you play Houston, and now you're Texas. And it, it just looked like, you know, they, they knew early on they weren't going to get much help from the offense. They weren't mm-hmm. keeping them off the field at all. And that's just a lot of snaps you got to play, and I'm sure they were beat up going to that game. And like you said, you know, they ran into a Texas team that was as motivated as a Texas team can get against Rice. And so it was just a lot of things. Uh, going bad their way and then you lose a couple quarterbacks and and, yeah. and all of a sudden the wheels fall off and now they're humans they're kids right right you, you know you're not getting help from that other side of the ball it's a little bit harder uh to to stay up and kind of keep making those stops when you know that that's just three and out three and out three and out yeah yeah good luck uh good news for rice uh they have texas southern coming up so hopefully we'll finally notch that first win of the season uh, moving on, UTEP was off, so they uh, they get New Mexico next week. Hopefully, you can keep uh, can bounce back after that uh, a long week off after a trip to Boise. Texas State talked about them. Probably should be relegated. Uh, North <laughs> Texas, <laughs> North Texas, Jesus, uh, forty to six against UAB. So after last week, they have a really good showing against SMU. Give up some big plays. I thought the takeaway from that was, wow, you, UNT did really good, uh, hung in there for a while, gave up some big plays, unfortunate. Turns out the takeaway was, wow, UNT gives up a lot of big plays because <laughs> um, that's exactly what happened in this game. Uh, do you know how many passes Dylan Hopkins threw in this game, Mike Craven? I did not. I did not look. Six of seven passes he completed. Do you know how many of those went for touchdowns? Four. Three, close. Yeah, yeah, that was close. <laughs> Half of them went for touchdowns. Um, yeah, this wasn't good. Uh, North Texas, let me see, I'm trying to find it. Uh, they had 99 passing yards. Um, they had uh, one of the first play was a pick from Jace Reuter. And yeah, UAB just absolutely squashed them. And that is horrendous. Like if Texas State didn't play this weekend, UNT would have the worst loss in the state because – this is a conference opponent. This is a, again, this is the defense that looked pretty good for the most part against SMU. And you just get rocked for four quarters. Yeah. You're down 30, nothing at halftime. You can't really get a running game going. I mean, Torrey had what 24 carries 82 yards. Yeah. You think you find a quarterback the week before and now it doesn't look like that's true at all. And so, uh, yeah, you're just back to back to square one again. It, you should know more about your team after week three than we know about North Texas. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, the things we do know about North Texas, like you said, are they are susceptible to the big play. And when your offense isn't capable of the big play, uh, mm-hmm. that's a uh, that's a bad combination. And they just, you know, it looked like they showed up to a fight and they didn't know that they were in one. You know, and yeah. by the time yep. by the time they really were like, okay, we got you know, it's already thirty to nothing, and so. Uh, yeah, back to the drawing board for North Texas, and like you said, thankfully for them, Texas State lost the Incarnate Word, or they'd be the they'd be the worst storyline of the, of the week. Yeah, I feel like people outside of uh, only people in Denton are the ones that really paid attention to this because, again, there was a lot of national attention going pointing down to San Marcos. Um, kind of kept the spotlight off. Uh, Seth Luttrell said after the game, this is according to Matthew Bruni over two four seven. Offensively, that's probably the worst I've seen since I've been here. It was atrocious. That's why everybody has to look in the mirror and make sure uh, they do their job better than that. That's not good when you're heading into what year four under five under Latrell. Like yeah. that, that, you know, this, this is firmly his program. And the fact that he came into, you know, we talked about the defense and he's talking about the offense looking bad. Like, yeah, this is the, uh, this is the second lowest output since he's been there. Six points. Um yeah, I don't know. This is that that is a again, you you kind of hope this loss is maybe a wake-up call where things just happen to go wrong, right? You throw a pick on the first play, you give up some big plays on defense, and it just kind of cascades into just a, a miserable, um, kind of a miserable performance. And you you'd hope that 
you know, UAB was coming off getting embarrassed against Georgia, right? This is a vulnerable team. Um, and now you play a La Tech team, which we'll talk about, has a high-powered offense of its own. Like, UNT, all of a sudden, you know, I'm kind of a little nervous about what's happening. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Conference USA is not necessarily getting any easier. Yeah, Mason Fine's not coming back through that door. No. And, you know, it, it feels like, you know, that, that first year or two that Latrell's there, it felt like North Texas was a program on the rise and going in the right direction and some things were going to get figured out up there. And kind of like we were talking about with Texas state, it just looks like they're back to ground one with just no identity and no, nothing really to like hang their hat on in terms of what they do. Well, are, are they a good defensive team? No. Are they a good running team? No. Do they have a good passing attack? No. It's like, what, what can you do on a week in week out basis? And right now they just look lost. Yep. All righty. Moving on to, Houston grambling. All right. So I had planned to not talk like at all about this game. And then Clayton Toon goes out hurt. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it's like, okay, so Holgerson says, you know, it's a hamstring injury. He picked him. He said, he'll be fine for next week, but he picked it up last week, said he shouldn't have played him. So again, we don't need to talk about this game. They beat grambling 45, nothing. Congrats. Um, I, that's something <laughs> Clayton Toon yeah. might be out. Like, I don't know. I mean, he might be dealing with a nagging injury. Sure. He might be good for next week, but you know, is it going to flare up again? I don't know. Yeah. And the hamstrings, one of those things that you just, there's not, there's not a real schedule you can look at and go, okay, in two weeks, this is going to be better. In three weeks, this is going to be better. The only right. thing that helps a hamstring is to not use that hamstring for a little while. And he doesn't have the luxury of doing that. So I'd imagine this is something that nags at him um, throughout the year. And, and that's not a, that's not a great sign uh, for Houston. Although offensively they looked good yesterday, running the football and doing some things, but again, it's grambling. Sure. So it's hard to take a ton away from them. Um, I do think the schedule worked out perfectly for after that disappointing second half against Texas Tech, mm-hmm. to get Rice, to get Grambling, I think there's some feel-good back inside that program again. And now it's just, yeah, getting your quarterback healthy for conference play. Yeah, uh, Ike Bogu came in. Uh, he was 14-22 for 196, two touchdowns. Um, solid day. Again, it's Grambling, but – you know, if Clayton Toon isn't good to go um, or kind of, you know, it has to come out for spurts, um, you know, it's okay to get that guy some reps and some some confidence built, especially going against um, going into Navy, which, again, Navy hasn't been good uh, the past two years. So, again, it just kind of goes into the whole Houston. We don't know what Houston is, but it might not matter because the schedule is kind of bad. So, <laughs> And they got their running game going, and they yeah, hadn't really exactly. done that the first two weeks. And that's something, especially if Toon is injured, that's something that they're going to really need. Yeah. Uh, moving on, number seven, SMU. Holy crap, 39-37 over La Tech. Hail Mary to win the game. Um, I did not know that this was a design play, that Hail Mary. <laughs> um, so what happened was it was uh, it looked like a conventional Hail Mary, but Rasheed Rice is actually positioned to come into the scrum and tip it out to Reggie Robertson, who's outside of the scrum. Uh, if you watch the play, there's the, you know, there's the pile of players where, where Tana Mordecai throws to. And Reggie Robertson is off to the right. He's out of the frame. And Rasheed Rice is literally told to come in and tip the ball outside of the pack to Reggie Robertson, who's there and makes the catch. And I don't know how many, I don't know how many teams design a Hail Mary, but that was executed perfectly. I mean, SMU, we'll talk about the rest of the game, but what a what a way to end that game and how to I don't know that execution was incredible <laughs> what's that basketball movie with Will Ferrell and they like do the alley-oop and it just blows everybody's brains that's what <laughs> that remi- yeah that's what that reminded me of yesterday where it's like this obvious thing and it's like oh man why hasn't everybody been doing that forever like that's <laughs> right. just such a genius idea of how to how to deal with the Hail Mary Tanner Mordecai my goodness man mm. like 16 touchdowns already on the season. That's the most in the NCAA. 36 for 45, 395 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. That's the good news. Bad news, they give up 351 yards passing and four touchdowns. So, (laughs) um, you know, know, we were just talking about North Texas and how it looked like they found their quarterback last week. I think SMU's defensive backs are just not that good. I mean, they they have to figure out secondary-wise what to do. But 
Tanner Mordecai is going to put up ridiculous, ridiculous numbers. And it almost feels silly that we were wondering how they were going to uh, replace Shane Bouchelle uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Credit to credit to Mallory. She called this. She said this is going to be a shootout. And this was a fun one. It really was. I mean, Austin Kendall, you know, was, looked really, really good. It was basically one of those old school quarterback battles where just they're just hitting big plays. And and, you know, Ulysses Bentley had, a, I believe, a punt return or a kick return. I think it was a kick return um, uh, that crossed midfield. That was uh, about 70 ish yards, I think. Um, just big plays all over the place. And it looked like I mean, I thought it looked like uh, La Tech was going to come out with it and of course until that Hail Mary it looked it looked that way um I think SMU's defense made an opportunistic play I think it was Isaac Slade um um uh, Matu I do not know how to pronounce his name I, I'm sorry but he came up with a big interception late to kind of swing the possession game back to SMU they ended up uh, going up on that next possession and yeah I mean geez this program just seems whenever you have questions about what they're doing or like, you know, maybe a hole here or there, they seem to just kind of solve themselves and they, and they keep winning. Right. We talk about, you know, uh, quarterbacks, a question mark. It doesn't matter. They win. Uh, is the running game, you know, is Ulysses Bentley really a guy that can be a, a, a four down guy? Yeah. He's pretty good. Defense uh, comes up with an interception, right? Like they, they just keep getting things going their way. And they, I mean, that's what good teams do that, you know, you tend to put yourselves in good positions to, have things like this happen to you obviously you can't predict that you're going to win on a hail mary but putting yourself in a position to make the best out of that situation good teams do that now they get a tcu team and this is uh, a tcu team that you know there's some questions about them and if they can beat a tcu team that's you know we're not exactly too sure about right now i don't know man smu just seems to be rolling <laughs> yeah and when you say good team i mean really it's a well-coached team you sure, know, you, sure, can, yeah. you, you can tell that they have a lot of belief in themselves. They, they feel like they always have a shot. They don't make a lot of mistakes on their own. I mean, there's some holes athletically to where they do give up some big plays uh, defensively. Um, but you can tell that if they, you know, they thought that we can just get our offensive ball one more time, we're going to go down and score. And they did exactly that. And there's something to be said about that knowledge of growth and that knowledge of, of winning and the culture that's built there. Um, and Sonny Dykes has them rolling. And I, I think we learn a lot about TCU and SMU this next week. Yeah, this is going to be, this is probably going to be the game I'm going to have my eyes turned to. And it's also at 11. So there's going to be nothing really else on at that time. So I'm glad that they get the kind of a little national spotlight. Uh, we'll talk more about that game coming up uh, in a week. Moving on to number six, Texas. All right, flipping the flipping sides. Of course, they beat Rice 58 nothing. Um, is it possible that you win a game 58 nothing and I feel like zero change about you? <laughs> um, Casey Thompson looked fine. I don't know. I mean, it's Rice. Of course, they looked good. Um, Bijan Robinson got going, which I guess if you're Texas, that's kind of the biggest thing that I would I wanted to see out of this game was just getting your star running back looking like a star running back again. Um, Roshan Johnson, of course, looks like looks really looked really good. Of course, uh, Keelan Robinson looked good. I mean, I don't know. Eh, they beat Rice. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you look at the stat line, it's 41 carries, 427 yards, and six touchdowns. I mean, that's yeah. what you want to do against Rice. And, you know, I, we talked about it last week. I don't really believe so much in the, like, oh, they played this team this well. So this team, you know, Arkansas did struggle against Rice. And I, yeah. I know some of that's because of the game plan and all that kind of all that kind of jazz. But Rice has a pretty decent defensive line, front seven, that can stop the run. And Texas looked pretty good there. I think I think the main sign for UT is one. I, I think they have a quarterback that they believe in now. It does yeah. seem like the team kind of believes in Casey Thompson a little bit more at this junction, and that may just be from being around him a little bit more. Um, and then also, this does feel like, you know, if Tom Herman's still coaching there, it, this feels like a 24 to 17 type. You play down to your competition, mm -hmm. and you just – Sarkeesian like he stepped on their throats like that yeah. was a real like we're gonna blow this team out and Texas hadn't had that killer instinct in a while so if you're a UT fan yeah you're taking this with a monster grain of salt uh, with just kind of like it is being rice and you can't draw too much from that but 
in terms of like bounce back efforts, mm -hmm. they came out, they put it out of the way and they got a lot of guys in there. And that, that's really, that's really all you could have asked for, for this game. Cause it was going to be one of those that we weren't going to be impressed by anything, right? You win 58 sure, zero sure. and it's like you beat rise, but it had it been a close game. We'd be drawing all sorts of conclusions about this UT team. So hat, hats off to them for at least just taking care of business and, and being able to run the football in a way that they plan on running the football for the rest of the, how about Jonathan Brooks, even Jonathan Brooks. Yeah, got man, in got in the game. Yeah. I mean, they got, they got four really good running backs back there. If they can figure out the offensive line. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and credit, you know, credit to the defense. The defense got embarrassed last week, of course, uh, that front seven, and they looked really good. I mean, Luke Brockermeyer, of course, was uh, on, on the bad end on some, of some highlights last week. And he, really stepped up and, and really manned that man, that front seven and, you know, put Rice's in a, you know, we talked about Rice's poor offense, but they didn't, they didn't let them have any breathing. Right. And so uh, we know what Rice wants to do. They want to try to run the ball and they didn't have, give them a chance. So um, speaking, we, we mentioned SMU TCU, we're going to learn a lot about Texas next week. And I think this game plan, I don't want to say Sarkeesian gave away his game plan for Tech, but I think we're going to see a decent dose of a lot of these guys in the running game. I don't think 40 carries was was a uh, was a uh, uh, just a, just it's Rice. I think this is what he knows this offense is going to be based on because I'm looking at the receiving numbers and you know it seems like every week there's a different guy, right? Week one it was Whittington, this week it was Worthy. Of course, you got Robinson in the backfield, Kevante Dixon. It's like there there still isn't that reliable guy at receiver and of course when you have casey thompson you know somebody you trust you you kind of hope if he'll find guys here and there but you do know where your playmakers are and it's going to be robinson it's going to be roshan uh it's going to be probably keelan robinson as well and i think that's what we're going to see against tech and so i don't think it was a coincidence that this game was a lot of running and uh thompson had under 20 passes yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I think if we see Casey Thompson with more than 30 attempts in any game this year, it's a bad sign. That means yeah. they're not running the football pretty well. I, I, You know, he's going to throw it more than he did yesterday, but I think it's more 24, 25 times a game. You get, you know, Bajan 20 carries. You get Rashawn 10 carries. You get, you know, some of those younger guys, 5 to 10 combined or whatever. And like you yeah. said, you're running the ball 40 to 45 times a game. Yep. And it takes and it takes pressure off that defense because while it looked good against mm -hmm. Rice, the depth just isn't there. Sure, and so sure. you get into a game like Arkansas and you could see them just wearing out, wearing out, wearing out. So if they can be a, a run first offense that controls the ball, that can controls the tempo, not only does that take pressure off of Casey Thompson, that takes pressure off that defense. Yep. Moving on to number five, Texas Tech. I want to start having some discussions about how good this Texas Tech team might be because 54 to 21 over FIU, FIU uh, score, I believe it was tied 14-14 and Tech rattled off uh, 28 unanswered <laughs> and just put this game to bed like nothing. Um, I mentioned, you know, FIU's quarterback, uh, Martin Bordenschlager, pretty, uh, Max Bordenschlager, excuse me, um, decent quarterback. He looked good against Texas State, and he, I believe he was one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the country heading into this game. Um, he had one 70-yard touchdown pass that kind of tied the game, and that was kind of it. And then Texas Tech just wrecked them. I mean, I don't mean the pun. I don't mean, I really didn't mean that pun, but absolutely dominated. <laughs> uh, Sir Roderick Thompson's back. He only had four carries, but, he, you know, they have him back in that backfield with Taj Brooks now. Texas Tech's defense just put an end to that. I think they had uh, FIU had seven more points in that game. Um, is Texas Tech like really good potentially? <laughs> I mean, I think that they're they're above average. This is the best Tech team that Matt Wells has fielded, and it and it's for multiple reasons. We finally saw Tyler Shutt kind of go off. Right, he had mm -hmm. you know nearly four hundred yards of passing. I think three ninety nine. He had four touchdowns. The no interceptions part was big. Um, they scored a defensive touchdown, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, you know, if you can get an extra touchdown, if you can get seven points a game from your defense, you know, Hey, you'll take that if you're Texas tech. And then they were able to do stuff in the passing game without using Eric uh, Azukama all mm -hmm. that much. You know, he, you know, the last couple of games, it's been just him having, you know, pretty much half the passing yards, you know, Geiger had a big game. Coots a tight end. It was crazy seeing a tight end at Texas Tech catch two <laughs> touchdowns. That was a lot of fun. So Mike Mike Leach had they, a heart attack in Stark. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you can, you know, if you can spread the ball around and get get Eric some, you know, single coverage or whatever later on yeah. in the year because you can't just isolate on that guy, that's going to open up everything. So I, I mean, I think yesterday for Tech, 
they saw a lot of good stuff. They, they had a bad start. They were able to weather that. They saw their quarterback really kind of arrive on the scene. And then they saw some guys around him step up that aren't just the one star player. I think those are, those are good signs. And kind of like we were talking about TCU SMU, that tech Texas game next week is going to be an, a question answerer. We're going to yeah. know a lot more about these programs at this time next week than we do right now. And I, you know, most of the time I would look at the way Texas is running the football and go, man, Texas in trouble, but that mm. front seven for Texas tech's not bad. Yeah. And so it will be interesting. The offensive line for Texas versus the defensive line of Texas Tech, I think, may be the biggest battle of that game. Yeah, Texas Tech had eight uh, quarterback hurries on board and slogger in the game, which, again, for a Tech front seven, that's kind of insane to think about. I mean, yep. this, that, that's been the consistent thing for Matt Wells since he's been there is turning a horrendous defense into an average slash approaching good one. So I think that's one of the biggest things he could say about his tenure there is turning that unit around, which, you know, was historically bad for a good stretch of time. Uh, you mentioned Kalen Geiger. Of course, he comes in from Troy, produ- produces at Troy, we're kind of wondering, okay, what's him and Eric Azucama going to look like? He's had a really good season. Unfortunately, he hasn't had any touchdowns to show for it, but he's basically done everything but catch touchdowns. Um, and he, this game, you mentioned his six catches, 121. Tyler Shuck is looking like the guy that they brought in. Um, Oregon's quarterback situation is looking fairly interesting right now without him. Uh, but, you know, he finishes 26 of 35, 399, four, tu- four touchdowns, no picks. QBR of 93.3. I mean – yeah, if t- Tech is looking there, – there's like this – when we were previewing the Big 12, you know, we looked at the teams at the top, right? We kind of assumed Oklahoma would be this this kind of juggernaut with everybody them, everybody coming back, and for all their question marks, they might still be. We looked at Iowa State. We looked at uh, TCU as potential. Then there was like this nebulous middle, right, where it could be Texas. It could be Oklahoma State. I think Texas Tech's approaching that conversation. I think they're in that conversation. Next week, we'll know if they're firmly, you know, in that third or middle ground. Oklahoma's looking like a question mark. I don't want to say Tech's a Big 12 contender, but I'm saying there are a lot of question marks in the Big 12 this year that I didn't have at the beginning of the year. And one of the question marks is, is Tech a dark horse for this race? So far, so good. I don't know. Three and You meant we mentioned after the Houston win, after the Houston win, that that's the game that Tech loses. This game's a, t- a game that Tech lollygags around, right? Twenty eight unanswered in the th- in the second quarter doesn't happen and didn't happen. Um, something's happening here. So I want to give a little bit of optimism for what's going on there. Uh, a little bit more optimism for what's going on there because this is a, a coach who was on the hot seat, um, might still be on the hot seat. Who knows what happens the rest of the year, but. I think as as much of as much as last week was a scare, I think this is the kind of game that you wanted to see. Like, okay, cool, that was just a scare. SFA is probably a really well coached team. Texas Tech probably just took them lightly. This is actually something that is worth paying a little bit more attention to. The thing that strikes me when I watch Tech this year that I I don't know if I remember seeing maybe in my entire life, and I'm 36 years old, is a toughness. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're a they're, tough team, man. There is a toughness to them, a little bit of an edge to their offensive line, a little yeah. bit of a, a, you know, a swagger to their defense. Like, there, there really is something going on in Lubbock that you just don't see. And you could see it yesterday. It's 14-14, and like you said, that could have turned into one of those 54-49 to 49 shootouts, <laughs> you know, that they're known to be in. And instead, that defense tightened up. They score, you know, themselves on a pick six and, and really tighten the screws late, just like they did against Houston. And to me, that's a sign of a, a team with some experience and with some leaders and some real toughness within that locker room. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on. I'm trying to bring up the Baylor score right now. Baylor beats Kansas as soon as the box score loads. And I have the final score in front of me, 45 to 7. Um this was a game where I typically with anybody plays Kansas. I don't really try to pay attention that much. Um, this is a game where I was like, yeah, I don't have to pay attention to this. And then of course, cause it's just how my luck has been. It's 14, seven at halftime. And I'm like, do I have to pay attention to this game? Luckily? No. Um, <laughs> Jason Bean had a couple of, you know, he's that type of quarterback where we'll have a couple of plays and you're like, Oh, look at that. That's kind of something. And then Baylor just woke up and decided, yeah, no, this isn't happening. Um, Similar to Texas and Rice, there's only so much you can take from this game, but Baylor took care of business when it was time to wake up. Their running game is still really good. I think that's the one conclusion I can really take from 
uh, Baylor so far, three games into the season, you know, quarterback play looked fine, right? Bannon wasn't asked to make any crazy throws, but 19 of 23, 269, two touchdowns, nothing to sneeze at. The running game has been the absolute uh, linchpin of this offense, and rightfully so. And the offensive line has been really, really good. I really ex- I, I expected that to kind of be the case just because you can only do you can only see so much of Jeff Grimes' vision with a decent to not great quarterback play. Um, but with Eric Mateos coming in at the offensive line coach, I wanted to see improvement on that side of the ball because that's where they've struggled in the past couple of years. And so far, so good. I honestly think Baylor may have the second best offensive line in the conference. I mean, mm. I, I think o- Oklahoma's is a little bit a- above everyone else's just because the just the pure talent they have there. Uh, but Baylor's right there. I mean, Baylor's mashing people. You know, they averaged six point eight yards per carry yesterday. They didn't allow a sack. I know, uh, you know, PFF has ranked them as the t- highest grading, you know, offensive line. You know, a top five graded offensive line for mm. you know, the first two weeks of the season. I'd imagine they're they're again there this week. So. They're playing really good uh, at the offensive line, and they've had a schedule that's allowed them to grow into the season. Yeah. And I, I do think that pays benefits as the conference schedule. I don't really count Kansas as, like, part of that conference sure. schedule. You know, you don't have to, right. like – you don't really have to game plan much for the Jayhawks or anything yeah. like that. And so I think, you know, between Texas State, Texas Southern, now Kansas, it's allowed Bohannon to kind of build some confidence. It's allowed this offensive line to build some cohesion. The defense looks pretty good. And, you know, a David Aranda defense is always going to look good. And so, you know, I think, you know, we were just talking about can Tech be a dark horse in the Big 12? To me, can Baylor? You know, I I feel like Mm -hmm. Baylor is a team that you don't want to face right now. Iowa State's coming into Waco this upcoming weekend. And to me, that's going to be a game that's really revealing. Iowa State's not playing lights out, and they're a ranked team who's supposed to be the, you know, the second favorite to win the Big 12. If Baylor can pull that upset, all of a sudden we're talking about the Bears as a team that can really make a run in the same way that they did a few years ago uh, with, uh, you know, wait, why, I guess that was 2019 or was that 2018? I don't uh, know. 2019, yeah. So, I mean, they're only a couple years removed. There's still some guys that were young on that roster that saw all that success. And so, you know, you build a little confidence, you get that one win against Iowa State this weekend to really kind of, you know, put that marker out there. And all of a sudden the Bears are a team you don't want to face. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about it, the Big 12, like, you know, you, you always pencil Oklahoma in just because they, they win until they don't. But like, you know, they've struggled too, right? Tulane, uh, of course, they squashed their FCS opponent, but they beat a very unimpressive can- uh, Nebraska team close um, you know, I, again, this isn't, I never want to say, oh, Oklahoma's vulnerable this year. They're always vulnerable, it seems. And then they always just win, but there isn't a nail, especially that second place, Iowa state's not as impressive as they look as they there's, they're touted to be. Um, they barely squeaked by Northern Iowa. And, uh, of course they get, uh, just handled by their rival, Iowa. And yeah, I don't know this, that second place, I think is just up for grabs right now. And so, of course, right now you pencil in Iowa State, still, still with experience, still probably the second best coach in the conference. But still, you, you know, then next week, I'd be stunned if Baylor's blown out next week. Let's put it that way, right? Um, especially being at home with this moment, with this defense as well. I think this is, you mentioned it, the perfect start to the season for this offense, just gradually getting better. After Texas mm-hmm. State, okay, is Gary Bannon the guy? Okay, well, then they have a better opponent to kind of flesh that out against. He looks a little bit better. And now you get Kansas, looks a little bit better. So now you're hoping, okay, we can get this run. This running game has been established. Cool, we're set there. Now it's now, is Gary Bahannon, uh have that confidence built to finally go into Big 12 play? Well, let's hope and so. He, yeah. and, and the thing that he needs to be told, and I'm sure I'm sure that they're, they're you know hammering this home, he doesn't mm-hmm. have to be great. Right. He really he really doesn't have to be great with this offensive line, with this running game and with this defense. Just make the right play. Mm-hmm. If he can just make the right play. I don't. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't see Iowa State coming in there and just beating down Baylor. I think this is going to be a close game going into the second half. And it's just going to come down to who makes mistakes. And if Baylor can avoid mistakes at home, I think they have a pretty good shot. Yep. All right. Moving on to number three, TCU also off and number two. UTSA opening up conference play 27-13 over Middle Tennessee. 
Uh, yeah, that defense is awesome. I, I feel like we, I haven't talked enough about UTSA's defense because everything's sincere McCormick, everything's that, you know, Jeff Trailer, of course, uh, uh, understandably, but they shut them out for three quarters. Middle Tennessee gets 13 points in the fourth. Um, by that time, UTSA is really not that worried about things. Um, yeah, man, that was fun. UTSA comes out and just keeps the momentum going. And I mean, firmly, I firmly is now uh, probably in the driver's seat for the uh, uh, one of the one of the teams in the driver's seat in Conference USA. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited about Week Four because that Memphis yeah, UTSA man. Memphis is going to be one of those questioning answers as well. You know, they, the Roadrunners are rolling you know, better than they ever have. And, and his, I mean, they, they could have won that game 42 to seven, you know, mm-hmm. yesterday, if they don't make some mistakes or whatever, Frank Wilson didn't have his best game. I, I honestly don't think the offensive line had their best game either. They had some penalties that were uh, uncharacteristic for a Jeff trailer team. So mm-hmm. if you can win by 14 points against a middle Tennessee state team uh, without playing your a game, maybe even without playing your B game, Uh, That's a good sign for UTSA. They're not going to be, you know, no team goes out there and just plays their best every single week. So if you can keep getting wins against quality opponents, even when you're not playing at your best, that's a good sign. If they can just not turn the ball over and that defense keeps playing the way that defense is playing, you know, this is a 10 win team with a chance to win conference USA. And that's, that's absurd. When Jeff Taylor was hired, you couldn't have, you couldn't have predicted that. You couldn't have been like, yeah, 2021, Anything under ten, anything under ten wins is going to be a disappointment. They could probably win Conference USA. You'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, and now that's a that's a real reality. And so, um, I, I'm with you. I think you know it's easy to talk about sincere McCormick. You know, Sakari Franklin is incredible at wide receiver. Yeah. Jeff Trailer gets a lot of love because he's just an up and comer in the you know the college football coaching ranks. But that defense really sets the tone. That front seven really sets the tone. And they didn't give up a hundred yard. They, Middle Tennessee State didn't reach a hundred yards of total offense until the fourth quarter, and so right. um, that that was a really good performance for the second week in a row uh, from that unit. And if that unit can be really good, watch out. Yeah, that that uh, Memphis game is going to be a really good litmus test to see exactly the ceiling of them as UTSA as a group of five power because of course Memphis is one of the established group of five powers if you can win if you can beat them or even have a really cool close fun game like all of a sudden people are like all right now let's you know now it's not just conference USA now it's group of five you know upper echelon territory that they're that they're approaching which again the talent is there and ESPN picks up the game. They're putting it on yep. ESPN U, you know, mm-hmm. and that's big for the program as well from a recruiting standpoint or just a legitimate, a legitimately standpoint, you know, like they're still trying to build that reputation as legit G5 school. And those type of games on TV where an audience that may not pay attention to you on a weekly basis gets to see you. That's a huge thing for this program. It's, it's, it's huge for the visibility of it in recruiting. And uh, if they can get that win, it's just another one, another feather in the cap in 2021. Yep. All right, moving on to the last team, number one, Texas A&M, still 3-0, still atop, 34 to nothing over New Mexico. Um, eh, fine. Uh, Zach Calzada looked fine. Um, of course, that was kind of what you hope to see is get him, get him some confidence after kind of a rough, uh, rough outing last week. Got the running game going a lot more. I think that was pretty concerted effort on Jimbo's part. Uh, 34 carries total, 15 for Isaiah Spiller, 117 yards. Devonta Chan, nine carries, 29 yards. You know, get spread the ball around a little bit. Uh, Zach Calzada, 19 at 33, 275, three touchdowns, one pick. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was he didn't really have to make that many uh, insane throws. He had one deep shot to Demon Demas. Uh, hello, Texas high school recruiting. Um, finally gets his first touchdown catch uh, for AM. And you know, that was kind of the toughest pass he had to make and that was really not a tough pass um yeah i don't know this is kind of the confidence builder game that you really wanted to see from him in my opinion yeah you, you just wanted to keep everybody healthy you wanted him to have you know over 50 percent completion and just to kind of take some big shots down the field you know what you're going to get with that defense that defense is is incredible that, that's yeah. that's just a, a really really good throwback old school texas a&m defense um the offensive line is I, that that's where I'm at mm-hmm. with AM, right? Like I didn't think, you know, even if Haynes Kings is healthy, I didn't think the quarterback position was going to be 
you know, this ultra plus for them. It was going to be a young guy with not a lot of experience that was going to have to figure it out. But I did think that offensive line was going to be pretty dominant, even having to replace a few guys. I, I thought that they were going to still be really good just because of how well Jimbo's recruited that position. So far, they've struggled a little bit. You know, they got a freshman at center who's going to be really good down the line, but is still prone to some mistakes. And I don't know if they know exactly uh, where to put Ruben Fothery, but that guy is going to be mm-hmm. starting here by the end of this year. I think he's he's entrenched as a starter. So it's just kind of a changing of the guard up front at offensive line, and they just haven't built the cohesion you need with that unit left. That are again, week four is just an incredible week of football for the state of Texas. That Arkansas AM game coming up is going to be a freaking bloodbath. And we're yeah. going to learn a lot about this Texas AM offensive line because Zach Calzada, I think we can say pretty securely now isn't going to be the guy that goes out there and wins you a bunch of football games. Right. Um, they're going to need to do it with defense and they're going to need to do it running the football. And that's, you know, that offensive line is a big part of that success and, and they're going to need to improve tremendously over the next month with Arkansas and Mississippi state, Alabama on the schedule. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, they've been moving. That's interesting. Cause I think Bryce Foster played center in high school, but I, I thought it, the conventional was, yeah, yeah, okay, because I thought conventional wisdom was him as a guard, and I just don't know if they just don't think they have the rotation at center. It's been interesting. Yeah, he, he, was a, he was a guard for most of his high school career, and mm-hmm. I think A&M, you know, once he was committed to A&M, leaning towards A&M, I think the idea was, you know, he's he's not a he's not that tall. Right, So right. Cent, center may be the best upside position for him. You find a lot of maulers at guard. If you can be a center with that kind of skill set that he has, he can be an NFL type player. And so he started playing it as a senior and it's just different in college. And uh, as a true freshman playing center, that's a hard thing to do. Not, I think Jimbo mentioned it. He's only had one of them in his whole career. And that Mm -hmm. guy ended up winning a Remington award trophy by the time he left college. So it's just some growing pains that you have when you got a true freshman leading the way, because it's not just the blocking it's the blocking schemes. He's supposed to call everything up there for him. And there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be some missed assignments. There's going to be some twists and some stunts that get by because he just didn't recognize them pre-snap. And that's going to happen. You hope you get it out of the way because, you know, business is about to pick up in that Mm -hmm. offensive line. When A&M is really good, it's an Isaiah Spiller, Devon Achain, you know, show. And, you know, that requires the offensive line mashing people and they're going to need to, to play, really well against some good defensive lines of two out of the next three weeks. Yeah. I mean, we all thought Haynes King was, was obviously really good and that's why he was the guy, but you also kind of understand why his mobility was such a valuable asset to that team. When you do have an offensive line, that's kind of retooling like that. So um, yeah. Anyway, so that, that completes the weekend. I mean, it's crazy how we're going from a weekend where you really can't draw many conclusions to a weekend where you seemingly can draw all of them so uh it's i don't know this we'll, we'll have some fun on the wednesday show i'm excited to get back to it because yeah man this one this this like it's gut chest time basically it's starting to get to that point <laughs> yeah it's just been a bunch of appetizers and we've been kind of figuring out some things here and there but we're it's, it's a show me week yeah i mean there there are four or five games around the state this this coming up week where they're they're between teams or at least one team from the state of texas where we think we know who they are, and we're mm-hmm. going to know exactly who they are after this next week. Exactly. All right, buddy. Have a good one, and we will talk to you guys on Wednesday. All right, sir. Later.